Greetings to all. This is Jim with Down the TV Rabbit Hole, and this is another edition where Harry and I picked two shows, and at the end of the broadcast, we had like an hour and a half worth of material. So I've broken it up into two shows, and this is a special one because Harry and I really don't talk before the show. We don't know what show the other one's going to pick, but he asked me for a little bit of a production value, if you will, a little bit of music. And I'm a musician. I am a musician here in New Orleans. Not a good one, but a musician. And I got a lot of instruments around, so I prepared something to help Harry out with his show. I think you're going to like it. So without any further ado, here's Harry. Season's greetings. Harry, I'm sure you've picked a good one today. You told me you need to do something special, so I'm really looking forward to this. Hold on. All right, I'm all set. I'm all set. I got the keyboard right here. Hang on. Veterans Stadium, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Eagles, led by their extraordinary coach, Dick Vermeil, and the angular one, Harold Carmichael, versus the Dallas Cowboys America's team. Coach Tom Landry, the defense, led by Hollywood Henderson and Ed Tuttle-Jones. This is a matchup not to be believed. This is ABC's Monday Night Football. Okay, Jim, this week I'm talking about Monday Night Football. 1970 to 2005 on ABC. Were you a big uh, consumer of this Ugh. product during its run in what? the early days? Well, this is right in my wheelhouse because, yes, I was, just like you were. We were both about five years old. And I'm sure you watch Monday Night Football with your dad on a regular basis. I, uh, we had it on every Monday night. Yep. That was one of the big things. Yep. When Monday Night Football was on, that was like – I mean, I might have had a scout meeting or something like that, but we, I wanted to. I didn't care who it was: the Redskins versus the Giants, the Dolphins versus the Colts. It didn't matter. That was a big thing. Not like it is today, where even when the Bears are on, it could still have a shit broadcast. <laughs> we'll get to that. But wasn't it a big deal? I mean, for those uh, for those out there that that might not remember, I mean, no. I started watching about 1974, and I mean, it was. It was by far, no matter who was playing, that was the game of the week right there. Yeah, it was it was a phenomenon. And, of course, it was all the brainchild of Rune Arledge, and I'm not stealing your thunder, but I've read his, right. uh, I read his autobiography. And uh, that's one of the things – I mean, it really was, and, and people don't understand it now. They think it's just another football game. But literally the entire country – was focused on Monday Night Football, especially during those early years, from about 70 to, say, 76, 77. I yes. mean, how, Howard Cosell became maybe the most famous guy in, in, the, in the business, for God's not only in sportscasting, but in TV. Right, so he did. And so let's go back to 1970. That's when Rune Arledge started it. And I'm glad you mentioned Rune Arledge because he was the guy who hired Howard Cosell. That's yep. one of the first things that he did. Now, going back even a little bit further, uh, there had been attempts to get games on Monday Night Football before. Pete Rozelle, the commissioner of the NFL, way back in the 60s, thought that it would be a good idea to have football on in prime time and originally wanted to have games on on Friday night. But there was a big outcry because, you know, that was thought to have cut into high school football. Yep. Nowadays, I don't think the high school football crowd carries – I think it's huge, but they don't. I don't know that they could stop the NFL if they wanted to do it. But they still don't do it. It's more – there's college games on Friday. Still, but they, anyway, they, they, they thought about it, but that's why they didn't do it on Friday. 
and then college was still on Saturday. But they did. They had the first Monday night game ever on September 28th of 1964. The Lions versus the Packers at Tiger Stadium. They drew about 53,000 people. The the biggest crowd to that point that ever attended an NFL football game. Wow. So early on, they sowed the seeds. Um, and by the way, did you know that the NFL was broadcast, a bunch of the games were on the Dumont Network for a while, which went out of business sometime prior to 1970? Have you ever heard of that network? Oh, sure. No, no, no. The Dumont Network was f- by far, in a way, the most technologically superior network as far as picture quality, um, camera work. Uh, and I forget the guy's first name, but it was someone Dumont. But the problem was he was so focused on the technical side of things and the and the quality of the picture and all of that side of the business that the programming, they'd have a couple of good shows, but and they didn't have a real strong affiliation. They didn't have like uh, you know the best uh, uh, stations in in the yeah. big cities like. So yes, Dumont was a big deal, but unfortunately it it, it went belly up. I don't know when. I want to say the late fifties or early sixties. But yes, I can imagine football on Dumont because they were really trailblazers. Right. Well. ABC did a lot of games at the same time. They did AFL games, which later merged with the NFL. But for the 1970 season, Rune Arledge came up with the idea to have Howard Cosell, who was a popular, not that well-known, I don't think, nationally, but he was a controversial New York sports writer and yes. commentator. So that was really new to have on a sports broadcast. He um, wanted to have, as the play-by-play man, um, Kurt Gowdy or Vin Scully. Uh, Both of these guys were tied up with their contracts with other networks. So uh, he decided on Keith Jackson. Yep. Of course, we heard all those years in college. Whoa, Nelly, fumble, Texas has it. You know, great voice. From Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, Ohio, two powers in professional football meet for the first time ever as members of the new American Football Conference of the National Football League. The New York Jets, led by the passing wizardry of Joe Namath, and the Cleveland Browns, led by the power running of Leroy Kelly. This ABC Sports Exclusive is brought to you by Marlboro Filter Cigarettes. Come to where the flavor is. Come to Marlboro Country. It is a hot, sultry, almost windless night here at Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, Ohio, where the Browns will play host to the New York Jets. And here at midfield on the gridiron itself, as we await the opening kickoff, we will see two teams, two of the outstanding teams in professional football. Rune Arledge wanted to have, as the color guy, uh, Frank Gifford. But Frank Gifford was doing games, I think, on CBS. So they ended up the first season with Howard Cosell and Dandy Don Meredith, who was just a fairly uh, recently retired ex-backup quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys uh, as the color guys. No, wait, 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 wait a minute. He was a starter for many years in Dallas. I don't want to tarnish the legend of Don Meredith. Yeah, well, he started some, but he was also backup at the end to Roger Staubach. Yeah, and, uh, he started to fade. No, yeah, he no, he started to fade a little bit. Craig Morton, I think, took his spot, but he had a lot of good seasons. He almost made it to the championship yeah. game, I think, or maybe he did. But Meredith, for about five, six, seven years, was an A plus yeah. quarterback. 
Um, he was, you know, the happy-go-lucky guy. Turn out the lights. The party's over. At the end of the game, he 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 was very loose. Uh, made a lot of jokes. It did a lot. You know, he was kind of the loosey-goosey guy. Howard Cosell was the acerbic, uh, you know, wordsmith. And Keith Jackson uh, just did it for the one year. And then they got Frank Gifford to come on to do the play-by-play in 1971. Yep. And uh, But starting even in 1970, the ratings were through the roof. So the advertisers loved that. Um, and so right from the jump street, the first game was the Cleveland Browns with the New York Jets and Joe Namath. I mean, this was just made for TV. Uh, Roselle recognized it years early, and it, it paid dividends right from the beginning. I think I remember in the early 70s, I don't know, maybe it was mid 70s, but they actually had episodes with Howard Cosell on the odd couple, even playing sure. himself. Yeah, because of course, uh, Jack Klugman played a sports writer, uh, covered the Jets games and all that. How much talent does it take to sit behind a microphone, feed straight lines to Don Meredith? Look who's talking, the poster boy for the famous writer school. What do you know about writing? Writing takes skill. And don't you wish you had some? What? Cosell was controversial right from the jump. Uh, I, I don't know what he said specifically, but this was still somewhat conservative time on TV. And the main sponsor when the Monday Night Football first started was Ford Motor Company. And Henry Ford actually wanted the network to fire Howard Cosell. In 1970 also, this is the first season, Howard Cosell got drunk before one of the games. And what happened was he was sick, I guess, and uh, there was a pre-party, and he had a drink or two, and it yeah. made him sick, and he actually well, ended up throwing up on Don Meredith. Yeah, I, well, it, I, I'm going to ch- correct you there. Ch- uh, change drink or two to five or six, uh, yeah. and it was a really cold night, if I remember correctly. I'm not on camera now. Where? In Philadelphia, at Franklin Field, the score, the New York football giants 13, the Philadelphia Eagles 9. And you're right, just before halftime, he threw up on Don Meredith's uh, custom-made cowboy boots. Uh, Yeah, he was an um, asshole. I mean, let's face it, he was an asshole. And he was an egomaniac. And I mean, I'm not saying anything that I haven't read in books, but at the same time... Bob Costas hated him. He said if you would cut open Howard Cosell... The most vile, yeah. s- venomous slime of evil would come out that you would ever see in your life. This is well, Bob Costas saying this on national TV. Well, and the problem was Howard got very bitter as he got older. I mean, he was always, he was egotistical, but at the same time, he was very insecure. So he'd play the black hat and let Don Meredith play the white hat and let Don be the guy everyone liked and everyone, you know, hated Howard. Oh, because he, he would needle Dandy Don and he would criticize the players, but... That's what made the broadcast, as well as the technological advances that Ruin Arledge brought to the table with the slow motion uh, replay and the they do the reverse action replay or reverse angle replay, and they'd have more cameras than CBS and NBC, and they'd do a yeah. lot of tight shots, and they'd show the cheerleaders, and they'd uh, show the banners in the stands, and I mean, it was just, it really was the next step. Uh, from the typical boring football games production-wise and even announcing-wise right. that were on in the 50s and 60s. Oh, it was huge. And Howard Cosell recognized that. As a matter of fact, when he finally finished his tenure there, he he basically said that the NFL was boring and they owed everything to Monday Night Football, that Monday Night Football made the NFL almost what it is and that they should have been allowed to pick the schedule 
themselves because that was the they were the golden goose basically well, and, and that was his opinion no and it's and he's exactly right i mean uh, cosell played a part in it but it was rune arledge that took it from a sporting event to a tv production and of course now it's so goddamn overproduced with all of these you know right. animatronic characters that come marching on the screen and you know they've got all these stats that i can't even understand and then it's all not of a sudden, the same you know, no yeah. and they're showing i'm not this, even going to talk about what's going on now because it's yeah. now it's on espn where it's been since 2006 but it's you know it, any remnants of what monday night football was like or felt like or what the vibe was like is gone way 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 gone a long time ago exactly I mean, it, right. it, it pretty much was gone even when al michaels was there but i'll get to that in a little bit but in my opinion es that's not monday night football they use the theme music they, they call it that but the vibe left the building, you know, in about in about uh, 1985 or four. Well, and of, of course, the official jump the shark moment, I think, is when they brought on fucking Dennis Miller. Uh, I mean, that was right. just what a fucking mistake. All right. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, that sorry, in sorry, sorry. No, okay. this is good. No, we bounce around. Uh, but uh, so Cosell, here's a fun fact with Cosell. With all we're talking about, how what a crab he was and how venomous and conceited, they actually gave him a variety. Show. I bet you know this. In a, in 1975, they gave him a late night variety show. And do you know what it was called? It's called Saturday Night uh, Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell. Yeah, and they apparently Saturday Night Live had already been developed, but they couldn't use the name until yes. that show got canceled, which it quickly got canceled. Yeah, so so uh, the first season Saturday Night Live was actually Saturday Night. Yeah. And and then the second season they took on Saturday Night Live. Exactly. Live right. from yeah. New York. It's Saturday night. And they kept that the whole time. But yep. that's why they say that, right? Yep. Exactly right. Wow. And 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 Cosell, and do you know why that show was a failure? <laughs> well, I can let me count the ways. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch clips of it, and maybe I'll pull one and put it in this podcast, the thing was Cosell was very insecure. And he got this no. big show. <laughs> but rather than be the Howard Cosell that we remember interviewing Muhammad Ali and engaging in interplay with Dandy Don Meredith, all of a sudden he wants to be Howard Cosell, the likable uncle. So oh, he's yeah, no. smiling and he's introducing the Bay City Rollers as a band that's going to be bigger than the Beatles. <laughs> Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell. I'm proud to introduce him to you now as he makes his debut on national television, Young Billy Crystal. And it became, yeah. a, you're like, who's this guy? Who, you know, it, it's almost like uh, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's like, hey, how did, uh, I'm trying to think of, how did um, Buffalo Bob Smith get in the body of Howard Cosell? <laughs> <laughs> you loved him or you hated him, but he was important. And remember when John Lennon was killed in 1980 and they announced it on Monday Night Football? And I won't do the impression or anything like that, but he basically said, hey, we're watching a football game, but John Lennon has just been killed in New York City. And I mean, that's how most of the country found out about it. In 1983 is, you know, towards the end for Howard. And he called uh, Alvin Garrett of the Washington Redskins a little monkey. Who yep. He was black. But from the beginning, as we look at an end zone replay, Jake Gibbs wanted to get this kid, and that little monkey gets loose, doesn't he? He certainly, he certainly does, as a matter of fact. And he got a lot of bad press for that, which I think was wrong, because as you know, yeah. Howard was Jewish, uh, he was a lawyer, yeah. uh, he was 
the only one that would call Muhammad Ali Muhammad Ali when he changed his name. He was right. really the only journalist to defend him when he wouldn't uh, step forward for the draft. So his his record on civil rights was 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 exemplary. Uh, and for him right. to so he really got a raw deal there because obviously he meant nothing. Nothing That's right. negative about Alvin I don't Garrett. think he did. Yeah, it makes no. perfect sense. And he did use the the phrase uh, with other people. It's just that, um, well, you know, we believe him, but it, but he was also, you know, all had all those other issues. So he didn't leave himself, set, uh, you know, um, swathed in goodwill. To, he was exposed out there. He said that, and that's pretty much all. Yeah, he, had, he had made a lot of enemies over the years, and there were a yeah. lot of people gunning for him. A lot of sports writers were gunning for him. So that was unfortunate. Right. But anyway, um, going back to uh, 1970 to 75 during the, the prime, the primo years, Don Meredith, uh, I guess, was, you know, very popular at the beginning, but, but it got to about 1973. And there was a lot of criticism of him that he wasn't really paying attention to the job. He wasn't offering the same level. Of, he was never considered to be a great commentator. He was just more of kind of a fun presence in the book. Sure. But I guess it got worse in 73. He was starting an acting career. So I didn't remember this, but uh, I guess he was gone from 74 to 76. Yep. And he was replaced first by Fred Williamson, who Fred the Hammer Williamson played for, played for the San Francisco 49ers. And he, he was so bad at the job that he was fired in the preseason, apparently. Uh, uh, or at least didn't make it through the first season for sure. Yep. Replaced by Alex Karras who was damn near just as bad and um, was also working on an acting career, as we later, you know, Blazing Saddles and Webster. It's a whole oh, yeah. Why, how come we haven't ever done Webster, by the way? <laughs> and all the while, we haven't spoken of Frank Gifford, who was, you know, Mr. Milktoast, but that voice. We can make fun of his, you know, end stage Frank Gifford and Kathy Lee and all that. But you got to admit that that voice, along with Howard's, was the voice of... The NFL and on Monday night. I mean, when he would do most times, it was Frank Gifford doing the introductions at the beginning, or a lot of times anyway. And uh, or maybe that just came after Howard left. But anyway, I just remember, I never questioned Frank as being a goofball. I didn't know he was so milk toast that he was considered faultless. Frank would never criticize anybody. I just remember he said a very professional sounding voice. I think he was, you know, he was, uh, it was the soundtrack of our lives for Monday night football. Purposes, well, anyway. Cosell gave him shit, uh, especially later in life and said, Oh, he's not a good play by play man. And maybe he wasn't great, but he was pretty damn good. I never thought How he was he bad. Yeah, it's and, all right. And he was a handsome guy. He was the golden boy when he played for the giants. So, you yeah. know, but again, Cosell gave everyone a hard time after yeah. he wrote all those, you know, Fakakta books, you know, where he just criticizes everybody, even Rune Arledge, who gave him his career. Rune uh, Arledge. Yeah, he did. So he I mean, was a nobody without <laughs> me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, and this is something very important, and we've talked about this before. Even at the local levels, when you have people that are in, in front of the camera on a regular basis, there are so many egos that need to be massaged because... Sure, you're going to get some good letters, but you're going to get some bad letters. And it takes a really thick-skinned person to be able to let it roll off your back. And Cosell uh -huh. wasn't that way. And Dandy Don, I mean, he had – Rune Arledge in his book talks about the fact that every week it seemed like he had to massage somebody's ego because something had happened. There had been a bad article, wow. a bad – phone. yeah, no, every, he said, especially near the end – 
it was a full-time job just keeping everyone somewhat happy in the booth. 84 is when Cosell left, and that's okay. when we started to go down the tubes. Uh, 1985, uh, and basically um, uh, it was O.J. Simpson and then some Fran Tarkington took over uh, when Cosell left. Uh, and then there was actually a year with um, uh, um, I'm sorry, uh, drawing a blank. Oh, Joe Namath and right. O.J. Simpson. Yeah. Uh, then we get, uh, and the 85 season was very noteworthy for the games that were on, two in particular. You'll remember the Joe Theismann game when he broke his leg against the New York Giants. Oh, I still can't most, watch that. That's horrible. Yeah, I just one feel of so bad for the guy. Gruesome things you ever see on TV. And then also the Chicago Bears were defeated by the Miami Dolphins in their quest to be the only the only unbeaten team to go 16 and 0. But the Dolphins, who had been unbeaten in the 72 season, whooped them that night. 1986 began the Al Michaels era. Al Michaels and Frank Gifford, 1987, joined by Dan Deerdorf. And then you know that's when I didn't really like the broadcast that much. I felt like. Deerdorf just sounded, I think he's a nice guy, but he sounded just so overbearing and pompous. And they put, you know, Gifford was more of a, now the color commentator, and he didn't really have that much to offer as a commentator, the color commentator, I didn't think. That lasted all the way till 1999, and uh, Deerdorf left to go back to CBS, and Al Michaels teamed with Boomer Esiason, and that was a bad match right from the start. They didn't like each other. Boomer Esiason has said that Al Michaels... Just didn't like him. That's his version of it. Well, Al and, Michaels, uh, Al Michaels, in his book, he says that Boomer Esiason would always insist on being in, introduced as former Super Bowl quarterback Boomer really? Esiason. Yes, yeah. yeah. I figured there was another side to that coin, but uh, in any event, I think it was just the one year and out, and that brings us to two thousand. When they brought back um, Don Olmeyer, who had been involved as a producer of the show uh, previously, and he was. The, the show is suffering from sagging ratings. It's not what it used to be. And so he decides to bring in, uh, with Al Michaels, Dennis Miller, the comedian, and Dan Fouts, a milk toast broadcaster who's good, but, you know, completely milk toast. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so you got Dennis Miller in there for a couple seasons quoting Marcus Aurelius and things like that. <laughs> and, you know, and The man is going to be calling the plays, of course, as he does for the Seattle Seahawks is the head coach, Mike Holman. Dennis Miller, when they brought Mike in from Green Bay, they gave him everything but the Space Needle. Well, you know, the Seattle Seahawks lost five of their final six games last year, and they also backed into their first AFC West Division championship since 1988. That's a perfect scenario for Mike Holmgren, who was able to brandish both the trophy for the championship and the slow finish as proof that he was the one to prune back this current team for the long-term good of the franchise, and hack away he did. Like Mr. Miyagi with a chainsaw, Rich Glover, Brian Abib, Joey Galloway, Merton Hanks, Amon Green, Archibald Cox, Elliot Richardson, all gone like that on a fateful Saturday night. When asked why carpet bombed all the way back to the tree line, Holmgren said nobody wants to be eight and eight forever. Indeed, Al. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. The thing that bothered me is Dennis Miller is not a broadcaster. He's a comedian. And it seemed like he showed up with a page of 30 jokes that yeah. he had written with obviously obscure references. <laughs> right. And he was just, yeah. just waiting to find a way to shoehorn him in. And, it, you know, you're right. It just it didn't work. It, it was awkward. It felt forced. Um, 
his references. I mean, I always felt kind of good when I got one of his references, but even when I got it, I'm like, eh, it's not that funny. No, it was all like that. This is my script, and we're going to figure out it's a long game, and I'm going to figure out how to weave in yeah. Bob and get these things in by the time it's over. That's well, it. I, I would have almost preferred Bill Saluga. Is the third person. <laughs> yeah. We just wait for some guy named Ray, like Ray Nitschke. You can call him Ray, or you can call him. <laughs> oh, that would have been good. Oh, my God. Well, um, so that didn't go well. And then yeah. we hit 2002, and then Al Michaels and John Madden. It never seemed right to me. I don't know. It always seemed like a combination of CBS and ABC. Because, you know, John Madden had been with Pat Summerall all those years, and that was... That was just like Monday Night Football to me in a different way, iconic on CBS. Those were the guys, you know, right post 60 minutes coming sure. up after the game. And uh, John Mann with the turkey and the, you know, all that stuff, uh, the turducken on Thanksgiving and all that. But anyway, um, Monday Night, he did it and then retired. And then since 2006, it's been ESPN. So I yeah. don't even want to go there. It's not the same. No. I just remember how historic – the show was a lot of it because of Cosell, but like you say, Rune Arledge was really the guy that made it happen. Um, Cosell, they probably could have been okay, done well without Cosell, but not without Rune Arledge. They had so many technological innovations that I don't even appreciate that much because you just took them for granted. When as I watched it as a kid growing up, but you're right, you know, you know the history of it. That's a show that I wanted to talk about because it was literally part of the fabric of every week during the football season it was such a thrill when the bears would come on monday night and even if they weren't on monday night i would watch just for the halftime highlights for a hopeful a glimpse of cosell saying chicago bears lose again bo rather drops the ball in the end zone (laughs) bo rather That's that, the epitome. That that's the epitome of week. mediocre Chicago Bears <laughs> wide receivers. Yeah. So, but anyway, well, Monday Night Football. You brought it, the early years. You brought it up at the beginning, and it's the most important point. And I really wish that many of my former bosses were listening to this, because the reason I think that Monday Night Football became such an entity, at least as far as the broadcast goes. Rune Arledge was very important, but Howard Cosell was a professional broadcaster. Right. He was, wasn't a comedian. He wasn't a former football player, and he knew that over the three hours, you can't plan ahead. You've got to see what's happening and then adapt your style, find the storylines, and, and and go from there. And I think Al Michaels does a pretty good job. I will say Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, and they do Sunday Night Football now, but oh, they do, they do. It. Yeah, they do a very good job of that. But being a professional broadcaster, and Al Michaels came from, you know, doing baseball. He did play-by-play for the Cincinnati Reds. and yeah. uh, So, I mean, that's what being a professional broadcaster is all about. You're prepared. You know the two teams that are going to be playing. You don't know what's going to happen over the next three hours. So you sit back, you react, and you find those threads. You find, I don't want to say a needle in a haystack, that's cliche. But as it progresses... You're there, and it's almost like you're riding a horse. You direct the horse a little bit this way. You direct the horse a little bit this way. Whoa, wait a minute. There's, I'm going to clip heels. You pull up on the horse. And and, 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 and and unfortunately, we just don't have enough of that on television anymore. Uh, 
And, of course, we're old school. We remember guys like Jack Brickhouse and Harry Carey and, well, Vin Scully, as you mentioned before. These are professional broadcasters that do that on a regular basis and are able to make something that is fairly interesting even more interesting. And that's the key, and that's what Cosell did for all those years. He sure did, and he did it with style. Uh, a style all unto himself that mm-hmm. no one will ever duplicate. He was all personality. Uh, for the good, the bad, and the ugly, there was plenty of all of that. Well, maybe not so much the good, but anyway. Um, <laughs> no, I, yeah, like I, th- I think <laughs> yeah. I think deep down, I have the feeling that Howard Cosell, until he got old and bitter, I had the yeah. feeling he had a really good heart. But that's just me. I, I maybe- think he probably did, too. I, I like to believe the best in everybody. And it's Christmas time, so uh, filled with good cheer. And uh, I like to let's leave it at that. Let's let's just say that Howard had his place, and he delivered big time when it comes to increasing the football enjoyment of young Jim Sion and Harry Bartosiak in the 1970s. So let me ask you this: How would Howard Cosell wrap up this podcast? You know, Sion. I want to give you a lesson in broadcasting. When you go down the rabbit hole, you need to listen to Howard Cosell. Because when we go down the rabbit hole, we go down hard on all of the bums and poisonous fools that brought down my career during the years. Don Meredith, Rune Arledge, talentless, complete idiots. I should have broadcast another 20 years. I demand you put me on the show. (laughs) Down the TV rabbit hole with Howard Cosell. All right, these are very important corrections because, first of all, I don't want anyone to think Harry said anything slanderous during the podcast. Howard Cosell was very open about the fact that he liked to enjoy a couple of martinis before and maybe even during the broadcast. He's quoted in one of the books as calling his martinis his silver bullets. So there you go. Alan Dumont led the Dumont Network, which went belly up in 1956, and as I mentioned, it was technologically by far the most advanced network on TV, the most advanced TV network at the time. Don Meredith had a hell of a career, so shame on you, Harry. Don Meredith was a pro bowler for the three last seasons he played. He retired at age 30, but in his last three seasons, he went to the NFL championship game twice, so he was a hell of a player. On the other side of the coin, but rather, uh, he had 92 receptions in his Chicago Bears career. He also played with Tampa, uh, 14,067 yards uh, for his lifetime uh, stats. And uh, Bo Rather actually scored seven touchdowns. So I guess that's not so bad. All right, thanks again for joining us for the podcast. We'll see you next time. So long.